Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Tuesday. It is November 14th. We're talking about the Milwaukee Brewers have made a manager hire. I'm not a fan of it. Pat Murphy is the new Brewers manager. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about why I'm not giving up on Christian Watson just yet. We're also going to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks who scored a nice victory against the Chicago Bulls yesterday evening. Before we get going, make sure that you're plugged in on the social medias. Tapping the Keg on Twitter, Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram, TikTok, as well as Facebook. Uh, if you are already doing that, make sure you are subscribed to this podcast. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. We go four days a week. For those who care about our schedule, we are taping Today, tomorrow, we'll have off on Thursday and then back at it again with Mitch on Friday for Tapping the Keg, episode 529. And that will be this week's show. Uh, if you're already subscribed, uh, we'd love to have us leave your review, whether it's Apple, whether it's Spotify, or anywhere else, or make sure that you're sharing this with your friends. Holiday season's coming up. Thanksgiving, make sure you're telling people about the Tapping the Keg Sports Podcast. We will have a pod on Black Friday that's recapping everything. That's going to recap the Green Bay Packers against the Detroit Lions. It's going to recap the Milwaukee Bucks against the Boston Celtics. It's going to recap whatever Marquette does in Maui. We are going to have a podcast for you on Black Friday. That is something that I'm committing to you early on. I'm going to have a coffee brewed in the evening so I can give you that podcast because I'm going to be drinking and eating all day and I do not know where my capacity is going to be at. If we're just being honest, we're keeping it 100, but I will give you that podcast because that's what I know I need to fucking do because it is a big ass week coming up here in the state of Wisconsin. So very excited for that and excited to talk to you about all those things. But we have stuff to talk about before that. We have things that are going on this week. This week's a busy week as well, and we will bring that to you, starting with the Milwaukee Brewers making an uninspiring choice for their new manager position. Right as the Milwaukee Bucks were finishing off the Chicago Bulls, Ken Rosenthal reported that Pat Murphy was going to get the job as the Milwaukee Brewers manager. I do not like that. I do not like it one bit. If you guys listened to me last week when we talked about the Craig Council stuff and we talked about the offseason, I was pretty adamant to Mitch that and other and just you guys, the audience, that I did not want Pat Murphy. That I felt like Pat Murphy was too much of a red ass, that he would rub people the wrong way, and that it would not necessarily work out. And I felt like with the team the Brewers have, they do not necessarily need an old school manager. They don't need a guy who's part of the old school way. Shout out old time Tommy. Uh, but like everything that I think about here feels very Ken Maka to me. For the youngsters, the Gen Zers that listen, I don't know if we have a lot of Gen Zers listening to the podcast. If we do, shout out. Uh, but if you don't remember Ken Maka, in the late 2000s, when the Brewers were looking for something after Ned Yost, after Ned Yost had napalmed himself in the 2008 run to the playoffs, and they had Dale Swaim, and instead of the Brewers keeping Dale Swaim, who remember was a manager, not necessarily a very good one uh, in baseball, but did get a manager's role, funny enough, with the Chicago Cubs and I believe with the Kansas City Royals, uh, Ken Maka was the manager choice, and Ken Maka was a complete disaster. Ken Maka 
did not work with this young team. Ryan Braun, Prince Fielder, were very checked out with that team. And the Brewers were trash for a couple of years. Before they hire Ron Renneke, they turn it all around. They make the 2011 NLCS. And then Ron Renneke manages the way out of the 2011 NLCS because Tony La Russa put him in his shine box. Uh, one of the more basically like managing disadvantages that I think we've ever seen in baseball. No, no lie on that. So... Anyways, uh, that's the Ken Maka background, and I worry that's what Pat, that's what Pat Murphy is. I, I just feel like this is not a guy who exactly bodes like, okay, there's a bunch of young guys on this team, and this is the kind of manager you need. Now, I know that people could spin it as, well, Pat Murphy, you know, is a college coach for so long, and he's worked with all these young guys, and he knows how to work with young guys, and I get that. Like, I understand that, like, on a surface level. But a cu- couple things here. Number one, these, athlete, these athletes are not college athletes. These are professional fucking athletes. These are guys that are making multi-million dollar contracts, right? These, these are not guys, and remember, Murphy did not manage during the NIL era. So he did not have guys making any fucking money in college. He did not even have to deal with that. Now, Arizona State's manager, Notre Dame's manager, does have NIL stuff to deal with, but at that time, he did not have to worry about that, or the transfer portal for that matter. Although, I have 0.0 idea if transfer portal is a big thing in college baseball. Uh, you guys would have to let me know. I'm not, a, not plugged in in the college baseball world. Uh, so, with, with all of that being said, like we've seen how many times that guys who are great college managers or college coaches do not translate to the professional league. It just sometimes it doesn't work. Urban Meyer is the most late is the latest example of that. Uh, Steve Spurrier was a complete disaster. Uh, in the NBA, you have Rick Pitino, you have John Calipari. Like there are countless examples and you don't really see it a lot of baseball, but it, it's just one of those things where I can't spin it to be like, oh yeah, well, he's managed a bunch of young guys in the past. It's totally fucking different, man. And so I just do not understand it in that sense of if you were gonna go, why wouldn't you go with a younger manager who can relate more with the players, who can kind of be at the player's level? Not necessarily asking for a player's friend, but I feel like in the era of player empowerment, like don't you want a guy like that that's working with these young guys? Um, but so, I, I don't know. I'm very sort of, that's one part of it that gets me a little bit like, uh, not, not quite sure. Um, I will say, this is giving me a touch of a rebuild. Uh, I feel like the Brewers are looking at one. I had a buddy uh, chat me a tank gif uh, after announcing that Pat Murphy was hired. Uh, I totally though am confused. Like I don't know where the Brewers are going. Like you could tell me that the Milwaukee Brewers are going to use Murphy as a plug and play manager and they're basically gonna prove to Craig Council that they don't fucking need him and that it's the players on the field. You could tell me that they're gonna trade a couple guys and just do a light reset. You could trade me, tell me that they are gonna tear it down to the fucking studs. I personally do not think that you're gonna do the last part given the fact that they are very close with the stadium funding per something that I was told, that it's it's not that far away, that it is very close and it perhaps is imminent and something we're gonna be talking about this week. So I just feel like that would be a terrible message to send to a fan base that already has some sort of 
ill will towards you, right? Like there are a lot of people that are looking at this and saying, this is the cheapest move. And that's not going to shush up the Mark A haters and people that hate this fan base or not this fan base, excuse me, this organization. I will say just as a quick tangent, if you guys are going to quit the Brewers or you want to quit the Brewers, just fucking do it, all right? Like, I understand that it's probably really hard to quit a team. I've never got to that point with sports where I've just wanted to completely check out on a team. I think that I've admitted to people in the past that, you know, when I was younger, it was easier to do because, you know, it's not social media. You had so much going on. You know, I wasn't doing a podcast. I was doing a blog at that point. Like it was easy to kind of check out on teams. And I will admit that my fandom for the Wisconsin Badger football team is definitely not where it was, you know, when I was in high school and trying to be a Badger and wanting to be a Badger as a football player and because that's every kid's dream. We've discussed that before. So maybe that's the example of me kind of tuning out a team. But I, I just feel like if you're going to be so annoyed with the organization, don't spend a dime. Like do not buy any clothes. Do not go to any games. If you go to a game, it's because you're seeing family or you're seeing friends and that's it. But I I feel like there's just a certain breaking point where you can't be a miserable prick every fucking time that something happens. And I I feel like at some point you just got to say, all right, I'm done. Like it's over. Like, and like, look, we hit breaking points with everything in life, whether it's drinking, whether it's, you know, a relationship, whether it's, you know, a friendship, right? Like at some point you're just like, fuck it, I'm done. Okay. And, and, and look, you can come back. Like, I'm not going to call you a bandwagoner. Like if you want to wait this out, see how it goes. I at least though think you got to wait a year. Like you, you gotta just go. You can't be Randy Quaid in major league and just start changing your tune as, you're, as if the team gets good again. I don't know. So I, I just think that there needs to necessarily be that church and state thing, but this does not quiet those haters. And I agree, like, this is not a great choice. This is not what I would have done. Um, I'm not a fan of it. I'm gonna go into a little thing of how I can talk myself into this momentarily uh, because that's, that's what we do as fans, right? We start to cope and we're like, well, what about this? What about this? Uh, so that that part, I, I just want to say to the guy, people who are just always miserable about the Brewers, like, why are you a fan at that point, right? Like, are you just doing it because you like it? Are you a masochist? Do you like getting slapped around in bed? Like, what is it? Uh, anyways, there also is the Ricky Weeks angle and the fact that Ricky Weeks is going to be the bench coach. And you get the idea, sense maybe, that the Brewers really like Ricky Weeks and really think Ricky Weeks can be a manager in baseball, but he's just not ready. And that he needs a couple of years. He needs a few sort of, you know, kind of understanding the ins and outs. And Pat Murphy is going to be bringing along Ricky Weeks. And hopefully in two years, Ricky Weeks is ready to manage the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, I that's that feels so awkward though, because what if Pat Murphy's awesome, right? That would scream rebuild, right? That would be your case for rebuild is, it's a Ricky Weeks succession. And then when the Brewers are ready to go again, they'll get rid of Pat Murphy and then they'll bring Ricky Weeks on. I will, we'll certainly have to see. Now, how I can talk myself into Pat Murphy. He is absolutely beloved by the players. He is a 
Just guy's guy. Everybody seems to like him. He is a player's manager, even though he's a red ass. I don't know how that works. And I don't know if that's going to translate to being the guy in charge. But we are going to have to see. I just don't necessarily believe it is going to work. But maybe it will. I will say that old might be in with baseball. So Pat Murphy is 64 right? He'll be the fifth oldest manager in baseball, depending on what the San Diego Padres try to do. Bruce Bochy, Brian Snitaker are both 68 years old. Bochy just won a World Series. Snitaker won a World Series two years prior. Dusty Baker won a World Series at 73. Uh, Rob Thompson, who's made the last two NLCSs, is 62. Tori Lovello is 58. All these guys are old. All these guys have been there. Snitker was another guy that was kind of in that pattern. I don't know if he was a college coach. I think we could look it up right now. But like Brian Snitker was a, a similar kind of lifer that just got a shot and everybody loved him. And it was just like this moment in time where it's like, all right, we're going to ride with this guy and we're going to believe that he can be a good manager in baseball. Let's see what Snit- Snitker's roles were. So he was coaching career. He was released by the Braves in 1980 in a roving instructor. He was the third base coach for the Braves from 2007 to 2013, uh, replacing Freddie Gonzalez. And then when Gonzalez was named the Braves manager, he was kept on as the third base coach. And then in 2013, he was the AAA manager of the Gwinnett Braves. And then in 2016, he got his shot after Freddie Gonzalez got fired in the interim. And then they gave Snicker the job and he has went on to win the World Series and he has an extension to 2025. So you just think about that timeline and it's a little different than Pat Murphy. He was never a college coach, never this, but like he's an old dude. He's 68 years old. Like he is not getting any younger and he's gonna be there for a little while longer. So maybe this is the next version of Brian Snicker. That would be absolutely tremendous. And it does seem like the old guys matter here in baseball. And we'll have to see if that trend continues. I mean, the Angels, you know, added Ron Washington, who's 71, and it was the same sort of conversation. Now, 71 to 64, there is, there is a large gap. I know with Murphy having some heart issues, I, I'm a little concerned if the grind of a season for a manager is going to work, but we're going to have to see. The last part, and I kind of mentioned this already, but bears repeating is, are they are, are we sure they're rebuilding and not just keeping it status quo? Like, is there a chance that they just think that they can plug and play and, and start winning baseball games? I don't know. We'll, we'll certainly have to see. Uh, but it's going to be an interesting change, right? You go from this kind of calm, mild-mannered Craig Council to a guy that's just kind of an asshole. And that's gonna give people a really hard time in the media. And that's something we don't really have in Wisconsin sports right now. Everybody's pretty good with the media. Uh, LaFleur today was about as intense as I think we've seen LaFleur and everybody was crazy about it. Now, I thought some of LaFleur's comments were out of pocket, but it was the first time we've kind of seen Matt LaFleur be pretty combative. And again, defending Joe Barry, which gets you a man who loves another man like LaFleur and Joe Barry, but here nor there. 
I'll, I'll just be interested to see how it all works. Uh, again, I'm not that hyped about it. I'm sure as I hear the press conference, I'm sure as I, I hear and read more things that it's, it's going to kind of ch change how I feel, but we'll have to see. And I will say this, and, and I'll end it here. If the prevailing thought from the players after counseling, maybe not all of them, but the leaders, your Christian Yelich's, your Devin Williams, your Corbin Burns, even if you might get moved, Freddie Peralta, Willie Adamas, and they all talked about just the shock of Craig Council and they didn't want to change it up. And that they didn't, they, this was already such a big change that to kind of steady the waters, they needed a guy like Pat Murphy. Does it mean that I think Pat Murphy could lose his job year one? Yeah, I, I totally think that's on the table. And that the Brewers could say, all right, now we're going to get out of this. Uh, I was going to use a comparison. It doesn't, it's very, I don't, I, I kind of don't want to use it, but I, I feel like it's at least worth mentioning. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm trying to be as respectful as possible. But Mike Leach, you know, obviously tragically passed away. And Zach Arnett, you know, took over as the head, interim head coach for the bowl game. Mississippi State wins. They give Zach Arnett the job. They get a new AD. Uh, Zach Arnett was not his hire. He fires Zach Arnett after a pretty rough, you know, 10-game stretch for Mississippi State. Now, I know college football, baseball, a little different. But I, I do wonder, like, this is, is that on the table? Like, if Murphy really struggles... Will they get rid of him year one to just be like, all right, well, this was really done to kind of patch up because we, again, are trying to keep it status quo. I don't know. Uh, I still think that we have a long way to go here. And this is turning out to be as interesting of an offseason as it could possibly get for the Milwaukee Brewers. I did not mention this in the start, but Craig Council's comments, you know, was introduced as Cubs manager uh, today. I... I don't have a ton for you there. I, I didn't pay cl that close attention to it. I felt like Council talking about thinking he needed a new challenge two years ago. Uh, people are pointing to the Josh Hader trade and that the Josh Hader trade was really the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't, I don't know if it was like that. I, I just need more detail on that. Like someone's gonna write a fucking awesome book on the 2022 Brewers. And I don't know if it's Adam McAlvey, I don't know if it's Kurt Hogg, but I really hope that one of them is because I feel like that team, that's where we'll know all the stories and we'll know when things started to sort of separate themselves. And Craig Council, to me, checked out a little bit that year. And I talked about that a lot on this podcast. And I, I don't imagine you wanna go back to a summer 2022 pod, but there are multiple podcasts in that where I'm like, are we sure Craig's in it? Are we sure Craig's head is really in this? And the Josh Hader trade might've just been the thing that was that got him to start thinking about this. And who pulled the trigger? Was that David Stearns? Who Craig Council rumors were that was not exactly a huge David Stearns fan. And that sort of started drifting him off to, you know, greener pastures. Uh, was it just the Brewers, you know, being short-sided with money and with players and Council just finally had had enough and started to think about what his next move would be? And Council just not necessarily understanding the reaction of the fan base is just, it's a classic out-of-touch rich guy. Like, it's not surprising. The guy's had a ton of money for a long time. He 
is about as one percent as it's gonna get. He doesn't understand the common man, you know, at all. And I'm not really surprised that Craig Council had zero idea and was completely fucking delusional about the whole thing and still is. Like he even this commentary of oh it was really hard, it was this, it was that. Like spare me the fucking crocodile tears, dude. And the Brewers had a thank you, Craig, without any uh, commentary. Just thank you, Craig, graphic. It was pretty hastily made. Uh, they sent it out today uh, with no commentary on it at all, and which is very interesting. And I hope they do not do a montage. I hope that Pat Murphy does not talk about, well, we got to tra- cr- treat Craig right. Fuck all of that. Uh, I, I hope that there are not a lot of people telling us how to... Tr- act around Craig Council. I talked about it last week about you have your choice when you can be over it. I don't think I'm over it until the Brewers kick the living shit out of the Cubs. All right, let's move on to the Green Bay Packers. As mentioned, Uh, Christian Watson has come under fire uh, by really everybody. Uh, It's definitely Christian Watson criticism season uh, and for good reason. Uh, The stats are pretty glaring when you look at what Christian Watson has done with Jordan Love this season, it has not been good. It's been pretty damn ugly. Here is this from Rob Domofsky. Christian Watson has caught 42% of the targets this year, the lowest catch rate among 126 players who've had at least 30 targets this season. The story from Pittsburgh on why Jordan Love doesn't have a go-to guy yet. I push back on that a little bit because I think Jaden Reed and Dontarian Wicks are kind of becoming those guys and a little bit of Luke Musgrave in there. So I'd push back on that slightly, but you get the idea. Then this from Wendell Ferreira. Passer rating when targeted. Aaron Jones, 107.9. Luke Musgrave, 105.5. Jaden Reed, 104.4. Dontarian Wicks, 101.1. A.J. Dillon, 97.3. Romeo Dobbs, who I think there's another discussion around Romeo Dobbs, 84.8. Christian Watson, 47.9. That is gross. They have not been able to get on the same page all season. Why? It. I, I feel like it's a bit of a mystery because these guys... Seem to be tight. They've worked out in the offseason. They're it's not like they have bad blood between us. It's not it's not like there is her bad blood between them. But like there is nothing that gives you this idea that Jordan Love and him should be, you know, not on the same page, right? You know, maybe it's the play calls. Maybe Matt LaFleur is not doing a good enough job of easy plays for Love and Christian Watson to get acclimated to each other, whether it's like a hitch route whether it's a quick slant, whether it's one of those pop passes that you see, which are kind of a run, but it's qualified as a pass, right? Like those plays you haven't really seen with Christian Watson. And maybe they are the Packers are not doing a good enough job with their play calls. And that's causing a lot of this issue. You know, maybe it's the fact that Love is too trustworthy with Christian Watson, that he's targeting Christian Watson too many times. And at some of the routes that Christian Watson is running, Jaden Reed should be running, Wicks should be running, even Romeo Dobbs might should, might be able to run those. Like there should be other guys. I realize Watson is a freak of nature. I realize some of the things is one of one type shit in terms of on the Packers roster, but maybe you need to start trusting other guys in those routes and look elsewhere and not you know look at Christian Watson if he has a 50-50 ball, even though as tantalizing it is to go for that deep ball. 
Speaking of the deep ball, maybe Jordan Love's deep ball stinks. Now, the stats of the last two weeks would tell you Jordan Love's kind of figured out that deep ball. It's starting to kind of come together. I, I love Ryan Rosillo, but saying that Jordan Love had a bad day on Sunday told me he didn't have great eyes on the Packers. Uh, and like I said, Ryan's, I look up to Ryan. I think Ryan's fucking awesome at his job. But I would tell him that there's no way you could say Jordan Love had a bad day. Stats say it, it, he did. But if you actually watch that game, like Jordan Love was slinging the ball as good as I've seen him the entire year. And like I said, I felt like it was the best performance of his career. So to say he had a bad day just tells me he didn't watch that much. But that's here and are there. Anyways, so yeah, other things that it could be. If we try to solve this mystery, like we're, you know, a detective in a crime show, uh, maybe Watson's too reliant on the quarterback, right? Maybe he's just expecting Jordan Love to get him the ball exactly where it would be. Remember, Aaron Rodgers was so good at making sure the ball was exactly where it needed to fucking be. And so Christian Watson's like, this wide receiver shit is easy. Like, this is easy on me. Like, I can catch everything because the ball is exactly where I want it to be. And Jordan Love's not like that. He's like, well, what the fuck? Like, why? I, the ball should be here. Like, I should expect the ball there. I should put this ball here. Like, it's just one of those things that's a different thing with a quarterback. So that's why I wonder if maybe Watson, again, is not exactly acclimated to Jordan Love, even though we're halfway through the season and he definitely should be. I, I still, you know, could see that being an issue. So now some people are giving up on Christian Watson. Some people are hashtag done with Christian Watson. I think that that is wrong. I think to be selling your stock, all of your stock that is, would be foolish. If you want to sell a little bit of it, I get that, right? Maybe he's not a wide receiver one, all right? But is Christian Watson still a really talented player? Yes. Have we seen before Packer wide receiver struggle and then emerge like a Phoenix? Yes. Namely, Devontae Adams and James Jones. Both guys came under scrutiny. Both guys came under fire. And then they became awesome players for the Green Bay Packers. One was the next level of awesome in Devontae Adams, who became one of the best wide receivers in football. But James Jones was a productive-ass wide receiver who got himself paid by the Oakland Raiders at the time, and the Packers didn't want to pay him. Jones also wanted to go back probably to the Bay Area where he's from. Uh, I Actually, I don't know if they didn't want to pay him, but that's, again, here nor there. So he might not be Devontae Adams in terms of his career arc, but Watson can still be a great player on this team. Like we saw the talent last year with Aaron Rodgers. Like it's there for Christian Watson. It just, there's different things that need to happen. And we kind of outlined all the different shit that needs to start occurring. Love's deep ball getting better and seeing the progression of that deep ball should tell you that there, there could be opportunities with these two guys. Remember, Love threw a great pass to him. You know, it was like a 36-yard grab, and now he got hurt on the play, but he went up and got it, and he got that ball, and he fought for that ball, and that was exactly what we needed to see. Now, I will say this. Dontre Wicks, Jaden Reed deserve to be out there as much as Watson, and their performance should be motivating him. He should want to see what Wicks and Reed are doing and want to be that guy and want to be at that level because those guys are outplaying him night in, night out. And Watson, I hope, knows that. Like, I hope Watson is not ignorant to just think like, all right, yeah, I'm still him. I'm still this great guy. Like, he has to adjust. 
He has to play a different brand of football than he did last season. And I think that's what's causing the fissure really is Watson stuck in his old ways and he needs to understand that a new era of Packer football has begun. And it's not, it's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not walking through that fucking door. I will say that this is another low light for Brian Gunacusta. And I kind of want to do a larger Goody discussion. So I don't want to do too much here. But Brian Gunacust hits on Reed, maybe hits on Reeds, probably hits on Wicks. And yet the Christian Watson thing looks like a guy who has a ton of fucking talent, you know, just talent oozing out of him in terms of speed, size, everything's there. But is he actually a good wide receiver? That's the part that's questionable. And that paints Goody in a bad light. You add to the fact that Broderick Jones was fucking awesome. And we talked about the TJ Watt mistake and, you know, the guy drafted after. Broderick Jones was absolutely moving dudes. And the Packers didn't exactly need a first-round offensive lineman last year. If you thought David Bakhtiari was going to be healthy, which I believe they did. But they could have drafted an offensive lineman and everybody would have been bored by it. But if Broderick Jones was on the Packers, he'd be start, he would have been starting three weeks ago, four weeks ago. And yes, he had some struggles to start with Pittsburgh, but now he looks awesome and he's playing really good ball. And having that guy, whether it's the right tackle or being the, or with Zach Tom moving to left, like that could have been very beneficial to the Green Bay Packers. And it's just, it seems like these things keep fucking happening. And I look at what the Lions have done in terms of all their draft capital and all those guys playing meaningful spots for their team. And the Minnesota Vikings having a ton of fucking fun, getting Josh Dobbs, getting a new defensive coordinator. And the Packers are just, oh, la-di-da, same old fucking shit. It starts to get tiresome. It's like, are we really the third best run organization? Right now in the NFC North, it kind of feels that way. So hopefully, you know, this is not, this being Christian Watson, is not another Brian Gunacus mistake. All right, let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks and ride us out of here for this Tuesday. The Milwaukee Bucks got themselves a very nice win against the Chicago Bulls. Uh, I realize they did not cover the spread, T's and P's. If you didn't buy the point, it was nine and a half. The Bucks won by nine, 118 to 109. But the Bucs took control early and really never looked back. They got out to a 35 to 18 lead uh, in that first quarter. They played really well. Uh, they came out with a fury on both sides of the ball, uh, holding the Bulls to not a ton of great shooting. And the Bucks established themselves from there. Now the Bulls had moments where they pulled themselves back. They even got a lead in the third quarter. But the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, at would pull it back to six, seven, ten. And that was really encouraging to see. Like the Bucks got punched a couple times by the Bulls and just stood tall. They didn't really give a fuck. And that's something that I don't feel like we have seen this season. I don't think that has been something that has been present for the Bucks all year. Giannis Antetokounmpo was a problem all game long. 35 points, 11 rebounds for Giannis. 
Uh, the Greek Freak has been great through 10 games. I know that nobody's going to care because the Bucks are 6-4. and four, But if you look at the stat lines that Giannis has been putting together for November, it's been fucking great. Like his last three games, right? 54 points, 36, I think, against Orlando, and then 35 tonight. Like... He's just been on another fucking, another level. I don't need to drop another square there, but like, he's been so good. And I just don't feel like there's been a lot that's been talked about about Anacumbo, but really sort of set the tone in this game. The fadeaway three at the end of the first quarter was huge. Giannis was just fired up after that, staring down everybody. That guy looked like a man possessed. Bob Portis has continued to provide a ton of bench support. He did that early on in this game. Uh, he made three threes in that first quarter. Uh, he finished with a season high 19. Uh, he also grabbed 10 boards. Uh, Bobby looked aggressive on both sides of the ball, continues to really play well and make a case for maybe one of the best players off the bench this season in the NBA. Uh, it's been, was very impressed with what I saw from Byports in the first half. And then in the second half, Andre Jackson Jr. was such a difference maker in that third quarter. It was starting to waver. The Bulls were up 68 to 67. And Andre Jackson just pulled it from the from the Bulls. Like he re-energized that entire Bucks bench and the guys on the court and was just swarming defensively, was getting rebounds, was making screens. Like this is the Andre Jackson Jr. that I talked about on the podcast when the Bucks drafted him. I watched Andre Jackson Jr. at UConn. There would be games where the box score would not show what Andre Jackson would mean to that UConn team. He was one of the most valuable assets for the title run for the UConn Huskies. So I am not surprised in the slightest that we're already seeing this impact from Andre Jackson Jr. And I I was hesitant to like use the Draymond comp because A, it's very easy to use, but I do think that there is some Draymond in him. Like I do think that he kind of adds that fuel and he gets the Bucks' ass in gear. And now you're like, Charlie, why should a rookie have to do that? Well, I do think the Bucks are walking around with a little bit of arrogance to them that isn't exactly earned yet. And that part's pissing me off and another story for another time. But I, I feel like Andre Jackson Jr. really sort of lit a fire under the Bucks that second half. And then they don't sweat it out in the fourth quarter. The Bucks were up uh, nine heading into that fourth quarter. They get a couple threes early and they just are on easy street that entire fourth quarter. Every time they needed a bucket to put the Bulls away, they did. The Bulls got they got sloppy for a little bit there with Brooke Lopez, and I think they had a 10 second violation. That was vice versa. But anyways, the Bulls get a little closer, and then the Bucks were able to pull away again, and that was key. And I really think that this was a good win for the Bucks. I I honestly think I don't know if it was the best win because you look at what the Sixers have done so far this year, and that that win looks really good. And I think that Knicks win was really solid, holding the Knicks to 105 points. But I think this is the most complete win. I feel like this is the most complete the Bucks have looked all season. And that's really encouraging, you know, going forward, right? And making sure that this isn't just a one-time thing. 
I, I worry about Toronto because they struggled there a couple of weeks ago. I hope that, you know, whether they all went out and they, you know, are living it up. I, they've not won on the road yet this year. And I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means that Adrian Griffin's rules are a little looser or maybe a little stricter. And these guys are, are struggling with that. Or if it's the routines on the road that's not working. The Bucks have not yet won on the road. And I would really like them to do it on th- on Wednesday and kind of get that revenge. That was something the Bucks were always good at under Bud. It was that revenge spot and usually not letting a team beat you back-to-back games. And the Bucks have an ample opportunity to sort of send a message back to the Raptors who are playing pretty good basketball. They did absolutely pull one out of their ass against the Washington Wizards when they were down 20 in the fourth quarter. And they found a way to win by four, an absolute collapse by that Wizards team. Five takes from the game. Uh, I already told you, Andre Jackson Jr., lightning rod. I, I'm just really impressed with him. I, I I think that you're gonna see him get more minutes. He follows a lot. Um, that's a problem. But I think as time goes on, he's gonna he's gonna learn, you know, when to follow and when not to follow. So I'm not gonna exactly, you know, be that concerned about the foul trouble. Uh, I think that's gonna come with time, but I cannot wait to see him on Jason Tatum next week. I think he's gonna make Tatum's life a living hell. And I think all of a sudden, Celtics fans are gonna realize, oh yeah, the Bucks have some wing defenders. Their names are Marshawn Beauchamp and, and, and Andre Jackson Jr. Those guys exist. And I, I think that's gonna be a little bit of a message sent to those Celtics next week. Uh, number two, Damian Lillard is gonna be all right. Look. Damian Lillard had himself a bad game. It was not a good Damian Lillard game. This is not one to write home about. Damian Lillard had 12 points, 317 from the field, one of nine from three. He did have five free throws. He had a couple big ones late to kind of push that lead back out. Did have five assists, but he also had five turnovers. Uh, it was a rough game for Lillard. Coming back from that calf injury, Lillard has had bad Novembers. Go look up Lillard's no- November numbers. They are not exactly you know the beacon of light. It seems like Dame Lillard plays himself in this shape. I'm not a huge fan of that in terms of any sport. I'm not a fan of it in football. I'm not a fan of it in basketball, baseball. I'd be like, you're a fucking professional. You should be ready to go. That's not how Dame Lillard does it. Okay. So I am not exactly going to panic. I think if we're still seeing these results in December, uh, it's going to be a little bit concerning. At some point, Dame Lillard's going to break out. He's going to have an awesome stretch of games, and we're going to be here for it. Number three, the Bucks fixed their turnover problem in the second half. Bucks had like 11 turnovers. I think in that first half, uh, it was really ugly basketball. The Bucks, you know, had they limited those turnovers, they probably blew out the Bulls, and this wasn't even a game. But because of the turnovers, they kept the Bulls in this game. The Bulls started to hang around, actually got it close. Uh, but they fixed that turnover problem in the second half. They only had four turnovers the rest of the way and had 15 overall. It's still not a great number, but to be able to kind of fix that on the fly just speaks to sort of the mental you know, aptitude of the box and kind of a little bit better mentally than what we've seen the last, last few games. Rebounding looked improved for one night. I'm not gonna be like, oh yeah, they've totally fixed their rebounding. But this was a pretty encouraging rebounding night. Like the Bucks were all over the offensive glass. They had 13 offensive rebounds. They out-rebounded the Bulls 40 to 29. I know people don't like using rebound stats, but 
I think right now we can, we'll take anything we'll get. Like Giannis had eight defensive boards. Chris had five defensive boards. Brooke had five defensive boards. Bob Portis had eight defensive rebounds. Bochamp had four offensive rebounds. Pat Conton, look, Pat Conton did not have a great scoring night. He only had six points. But look at Pat Conton's box score. Eight boards, five assists. He has steal. Like, good fucking shit from Pat Conton in the 29 minutes that he played in this game. Uh, plus nine overall PR. Like, I, I just, like, I, I think that they they were a lot more aggressive on that class. And that was really solid, really good to see. And I hope that that's a sign of things to come, you know, in the games moving forward. Jay Crowder, injury impact. Uh, if you didn't see the news, uh, Jay Crowder's out for eight weeks uh, with an abductor injury as well as an abdominal tear. Really fucking hurt himself. Uh, that's a major loss. Uh, that is definitely worrisome uh, given that it's a growing and you're going to need your lateral quickness. And that's kind of where all of that lies. Now, Suki Hobson's a great PT. She does an excellent job. I know she'll get Jay Crowder right, but we, we're not going to have Jay Crowder till basically middle of January, uh, if we're lucky. Um, probably, I would assume, a little bit like late January. Uh, I, I, that's going to hurt the Bucks. I think that they need to sit down with Brooke Lopez and say, hey, your brother's wasting a roster spot. We got to get another wing defender. And Terrence Davis was a guy that's been mentioned who played for the Kings, who's out there, is 26. Like, I, I feel like that would be a smart move for them. I think looking for a younger, you know, two-way guy, maybe a little more on the defensive side of the, side of the ball to bring off the bench would be great. I don't think you're going to replace all what Jay Crowder can do, but you probably have to find somebody. I understand also trying to see if the rookies can do it. Uh, I mean, Bochamp, not a rookie, but you get my point, the young guns. Uh, see if those guys can carry it with a little bit of pat sprinkled in. We'll have to see. Uh, golden keg for the game, Andre Jackson Jr. Uh, tap keg of the game, Damian Lillard. Uh, and then, yeah, we'll see what happens against Toronto. I will not uh, be recapping that one live. We'll have uh, Tap and Keg on Friday, which we'll talk a, a lot, I'm sure, about that and other Bucks games as we get closer. A lot of lot of Bucks action here in the next few few games and few few uh, weeks, and we'll be there for you as we as we discussed uh, earlier in the show. All right, that does it for today's podcast. We will be back tomorrow. We're gonna do Marquette. We're gonna probably do some. Maybe we'll have some fun tomorrow because. You know, we only have Marquette, but Marquette's, you know, they're number three, number four, actually, in the nation, taking on Illinois. So we'll uh, we'll discuss that. Uh, first big game, first big test for the Golden Eagles. We'll see how they do uh, before they are off to Maui, actually Honolulu, for the Maui Invitational, which is going to be an absolute classic. Uh, we'll see if Marquette can get the first win for the Big East. Uh, they're down 2-0 to the Big Ten uh, after St. John's got absolutely annihilated uh, by Michigan. Rick Pitino threw his guys under the bus. It was like, I didn't expect to play this much one-on-one -on -one ball with all the seniors we have. Fucking awesome. Glad Slick Rick is calling out his guys year, game two. Uh, you also had uh, Xavier, I thought, looked good against Purdue. Um, I didn't have a ton of eyes on that, uh, but I was watching the box. But, I mean, from what I checked in on it's they they hung in there i think purdue's really fucking good and the team that marquette could face uh in the maui uh but i i, I do think that they did they did all right 
um, for, you know, I feel like if you're a Xavier fan who you're predicted, I think like sixth or seventh in the Big East, you have to at least feel a little bit better than, than St. John's does. Uh, and then, yeah, Marquette, Illinois, we'll have to see. Will, will they be able to carry a crown? By the way, also, Nova lost to Penn. I, John Fanta, who I love, uh, I, another guy that I respect the shit out of, uh, was like, oh, Villanova's a Final Four contender. I'm like, Kyle Neptune's not a good coach. And I feel like I've been proven right. I, I should have put that out there um, when I was seeing that Villanova Final Four. Smart. I just did not believe in Kyle Neptune. And it's proven to be right. So uh, there you have it. All right, that was a little Big East talk there at the end. Uh, bonus bonus coverage uh, with the Big East. All right, take care, guys. Have yourself a excellent Tuesday. And we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, we'll see you then. Take care. Bye.